Good morning. Uh, even though you've seen robins, it's not spring yet. But it's ready to be spring uh, this chilly morning. Would you stand with me, please, as we read our scripture for the day? Uh, by the way, my name is Ray Schultz, and we are to introduce ourselves to you. Because if you go to two services, a lot of times you don't even know who's in the other service. And uh, I've been a part of Glad Tidings for over 60 years, part of this congregation for about two. And uh, we would invite you to be a part of whatever God has blessed you with, with your talents. I wasn't going to say this, but I am going to say it. If you've ever visited the Muncie campus, that used to be a big wooded area. And a friend of mine who's now passed, Don Haynes, and I had the privilege of ripping out the trees with tractors and pulling up the stumps. And so you say, well, how can I serve? I don't know, but you can. I never dreamed I would be pulling stumps and cutting trees on the campus. Oh, my, I can't even remember how many years ago. I was a young man, I will just tell you that. So there are places that you can be a part of what we do and what we should be a part of. So our reading today is coming from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miracles as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this marvelous sign, miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force himself to be their king, he, slid, he slipped away into the hills by himself. This is a fun one. 
great miracle. We're in a series that's just simply titled That You May Believe. It's taken from John's gospel, and we're looking at the seven different signs that John gives in his gospel about who Jesus was. Um, real quick, just want you to know right now as we're in here engaging this, our kids next door, um, they're engaging from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 31. So they're looking at the creation account, and they're looking at the, the faith fact that God is my creator. And so the verse they're learning right now, um, this month is, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you know that's a good verse to memorize? That's an important one. Parents, along with this, we'd encourage you, you'll see this um, on our Facebook, so you could grab it from there, or you could take a picture if you want, but it's got three different questions. You can engage your kids on the way home, and then if you go to our website, we've got these different devotions that you're able to download that will walk you through what the kids are learning this week in their classes so you can engage them throughout the week. But let's go to the Father in prayer and ask his presence just to speak to us as we feast on his word this morning. Father, we come before you. Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. It is living, it's powerful, it's true, it's good. And we pray that today we would be people who are changed and shaped by it. That God, we would long for you in your presence and we realize that you are more than enough for us. And so Lord, would you speak today through your word? Would you move in our lives, we pray in your name, amen. This is one of the important signs in John's gospel. Other than this miracle, there's only one other that's recorded in all four of the gospels and that is the resurrection. This is one that all four gospel writers, um, they discuss and they talk about this miracle. So all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John as well, which was written much later, he writes it with the assumption that those who are reading his gospel have already heard the accounts from the others. This is one of the miracles I would love to have been at. How cool would it have been to have been in the audience at the feeding of the 5,000? Because every other miracle, don't get me wrong, they're awesome watching Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, um, heal blind eyes, open deaf ears, all that's really cool. But this one, you walk away with free lunch. I mean, seriously, like you get to not just see the miracle, you get to taste the miracle. You get to experience, to be a part of it. Every person that was there that day, they had a hand in experiencing what Jesus did in that moment as he fed um, a lot of people, more than 5,000. The, the miracle is called the feeding of the 5,000, but it records that there was about 5,000 men that were there, but there was also the women and children. So the best estimates is he probably fed close to fifteen to 20,000 people. Um, now you're going, well, why is there so many people there? Well, it was near the Jewish Passover. So you've got lots of people flocking to the area that are gathering and they've heard things about this, this Jesus, this possible Messiah, this possible chosen one. And so the, not only are they there gathering for Passover, but they're, they're there engaging, going, okay, I want to hear from this guy. I want to see some of the things that, I, that I've heard about. But we need to understand there's a backdrop to this miracle that often gets lost that I think is a unique way for us to see the heart of our Savior. It says that basically, in, it's recorded in multiple of the Gospels, right before this account that's happened, one of the things that's been going on is Jesus' cousin, the very person who basically made a proclamation about the start of his miracle, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world, John the Baptist, has died. He's been beheaded. He's been murdered. 
and word has just gotten to Jesus and his disciples, hey, this person whom you love, who you care about, who even helped kickstart like your, your ministry, who John baptized Jesus, he's now passed away and he's, he's died, he's been beheaded. And the picture you get is that Jesus and his disciples, they're in mourning. In fact, his initial response is, let's get in the boat, let's go away, let's get some private time to just kind of, you know, how many of you have ever lost someone that you love and you just, like, I need some space, I need some time, I need some, I need, like, that's the picture you get of Jesus in this moment. But instead of getting that space, instead of, instead of getting that time, he's got 20,000 people who are watching his boat and they're following him on the shore. <laughs> you want to talk about annoying <laughs> Let's be real, right? You're trying to get away. You're trying to find that space. And instead, there's a whole flock of people who are literally seeking you out. But this is what I love about our king. Even in the midst of his deep emotional pain, it says he looked upon the crowds with compassion. Oh, that's beautiful. Your father looks on you with compassion and responds in such a way. The picture we get is this, is the setting is, is Jesus, he's being followed by the crowds, large crowds, they wanna see a miracle, they wanna see someone who is sick healed, they wanna see, and in the midst of all that, Jesus wants to grieve. He wants time and space alone with the Father. In fact, we're gonna see the second the miracle finishes, he's gonna find that time. He's gonna go up to a mountain alone and spend time with the Father in prayer. He's come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and he's being followed, but he looks on them with compassion and he teaches them all throughout the day. And at the end of the day, they're hungry. Ever been in the middle of a sermon and your stomach's like, this is kind of like what's happening, right? The pastors went long. (laughs) The people are hungry. Lunch is calling. Jesus notices the crowd. He, He sees how desperately hungry they are. In fact, most of them probably haven't eaten at all that day. So let's talk up a little bit about the miracle. The miracle is this, 15 to 20,000 people, all who are hungry, including Jesus and his disciples. And the meal was, it says barley loaves and then these fish. All right, so barley loaves was the food of the poor. This was not the same sustenance or flavor as flour. In fact, it was uh, pretty bland. When we say fishes, we're not talking like, like Jesus just grabbed like these big honking, like tiny, think more like sardines, Okay. It was probably pickled fish. They were small. They had been layered on top of the barley cakes. The meal was the bread. The fish were there to provide flavor to the bread because the bread was so just like bland. Like seriously, they, there was not much flavor at all. They would have been these, these small little cakes, like almost like biscuits that have been baked out of barley. And uh, the mom would have been a kind mom. And she's like, here you go. Take a couple fish to give you a little bit of salt to go on top of the bread. It's a little bit of flavor to add to it. And so Jesus takes this, and I love this, he takes this meager meal of the poor that could barely feed the small boy who had it, and he feeds close to 20,000 people with it. I remember going to school as a kid, and um, it was always a good day when you got a Lunchable. You know what I'm talking about? It's got like the little like meat that's stacked in the crackers, and then like so maybe you got the, the pizza one that's got like the little sauce that you, there's no way to heat it up unless you had a microwave and the lunch ladies would never let you. So it was just like cold pizza sauce. But like lunchable day was always a good day, but it was a small meager meal. Like you would eat it and then like by the next period, you'd be sitting in class going, I'm still hungry. 
Like that's the picture we get. This is a kid's sack lunch. It's small, it's meager, it's barely met to fill <laughs> this little kid. But in the hands of our king, what is small and meager to us can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. If that's not a proof to your life, because listen to me, I know many of you, you, there's parts of your life you're like, I I just feel like I don't have much to offer. I feel like I don't have much to bring to the kingdom. I feel like, God, I'm not really sure you've got much to work with. If you will just trust it into the hands of Jesus, he can do much with it. He took a brown bag lunch and fed 20,000 people. Because in the hands of Jesus, he can take what is small and meager and make it explode into something that's of beauty. So let's talk, if we're going to look about the miracle, let's talk about the purpose of this sign. We, we've said throughout um, all this series that the miracles that Jesus performs, they're more than just the miracle. It's more than just the eyes were opened or deaf ears were opened or that a demon was cast out. The miracle itself was a declaration. In fact, the word sign that John uses, it means that it's Jesus distinguished himself in it. He made himself seen as being different from everybody else that was around. But the second thing that Jesus did through it is there was an aspect of who he was and what he had been called to do that was uniquely unveiled or revealed through that miracle. And this sign, the purpose of it, is to do two things. It's to shift our perspective in the perspective of the disciples from from our understanding, number one, of what God can do And secondly, who Jesus really is. There should be a shift in our perspective with this miracle on what God can do and who he is. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given moment may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What you think about God matters. Because what you think about God will direct your actions, direct your thoughts, and direct your life. If he is good and he is for me, it changes the way that I see. But if he is weak and if he is small and my sin is great, it changes how I live. What we think about God matters. So let's take a look at this first shift. The first shift was this, what God can do. And it says this, Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip's smart, okay? Philip's like your typical, he's like an accountant or something. Jesus comes in and he's like, all right, take a look at the crowd, Philip. Where are we gonna get enough food for all this? And Philip doesn't go, where is there the ability to do this? He starts thinking about his pocketbook, right? Imagine how many of you have ever had to put on a wedding for someone, right? It can get expensive and it can get expensive quick. And that's just a small number. Imagine trying to feed 15 to 20,000 people. Even at five bucks a head, that's a lot of money. But what if it's like a $15 meal, right? (laughs) 
Fifteen dollars times twenty thousand people—that's a lot of money. And you start, and Philip starts doing the math instantly. Like that's like where his brain shifts to. He looks at the crowd and he starts doing the math, and he's like, "Um, even if we worked for months, Jesus, all twelve of us disciples, we wouldn't have enough money to feed this many people. We can't do it." In fact, if you look in the, the King James and some of the other, it doesn't say necessarily even months. What Philip actually says is he uses a term that was called denarii. And he says if we worked for like, if we had 250 denarii or 265 denarii, a denarii was like a day's worth of wages. And he's like, if all of us worked essentially for 250 days, we still wouldn't have enough. If we worked an entire year, all 12 disciples, we wouldn't have enough money to feed this crowd. But Jesus says this, it says he knew what he was going to do and he's testing Philip. He's testing him. See, what Jesus is wanting to do, he is just shortly going to hand over the keys of the kingdom and the expansion of the church to these 12 disciples and he's got to shift their perspective. I love it. um, John gives us this nuance, this conversation between Jesus and Philip But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is what Jesus does. He looks at the disciples and how they recount it as he looks at all of them because it wasn't just a test of Philip. And he looks at the disciples and he goes, you feed them. Can you imagine being in that moment? Like your king is looking at you and you're looking at 20,000 people and Jesus goes, you feed them. I'd be like, uh, I have to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be back in a bit. (laughs) Let Peter figure it out, right? (laughs) I'll come back when the dust settles. Oh, hey, guys. Like, that'd be my perspective. Um, John gives us this nuance in the conversation. Now, Philip, the reason he asks Philip is from Philip is from Bethsaida, which is a very close nearby. So in other words, Jesus is saying, he goes, you know this area well. I want you to see what I'm asking you to do is impossible. Not only do you not have the finances to do it, but there's no way just in this small town nearby that we can send them off and that they can get fed. It can't be done because he's shifting their perspective from what they can accomplish on their own to what King Jesus can accomplish. He's testing Philip. He's testing the disciples. They just came back from a ministry journey. They've healed the sick. They've cast out demons. They had to rely on God through others to provide for their needs. They weren't allowed to take bread with them. So he's trying to shift their ability, their their focus on this. And I want you to see this. Their focus was just like ours. They had an illity focus. You're like, okay, pastor, what do you mean by that? They had a focus on all the wrong things. Philip's issue is our issue. Jesus asks, where can we buy bread? Philip's answer is, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. His focus was on their ability, their feasibility, their capability, their possibility, the probability, the plausibility. His focus was solely on, what can I do? Can I tell you something? we have to change our perspective. If our focus when God speaks or he wants to move is contingent on you or your ability or my ability, can I tell you something? We're in some bad shape. Seriously, 
We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. We don't have the vision. You know, we, we've been this year talking about taking ground. Can I just be honest? The people you've been praying for, if it's up to you and me to see them get saved, we're in some hot water. If it's up to you to see your life be changed, can I tell you something? My track record's not that great at it. Me and myself and my efforts, not so hot. All of us in this room, that's our story. We got ourselves into our situation because of our ability, <laughs> because of what we can do. So if, if life change is contingent on us, if the expansion of the kingdom is all based on me, if God accomplishing what he needs to do in my life and in the life of this church and other people, if it's based on us, we've got some issues. But Jesus is trying to shape and change their focus from going my ability the plausibility of what can happen through my life to his ability, his capability, what God can do. Do you, do you realize what Jesus is doing in this moment? He's testing Philip to go, where's your focus? Is it on what you can do, Philip, or is it on what I can do? Even in the very presence of Jesus, when facing what seemed insurmountable and impossible, the disciples were still focusing on what they were capable of, not focusing on the one who is in their midst. So why the test? Says he tested Philip, why the test? I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Every person in this room has been through some form of schooling. This is what we know, a test does not create knowledge, correct? <laughs> yeah. A test does not create knowledge. It does not create skill. It does not create retention. All it is designed to do is to reveal if that knowledge is already there. The tests we face do the same exact thing. They reveal if the knowledge is there. So if I had to take a test on calculus, God help me, I would fail it, <laughs> right? I hated math in school. I was terrible at it. Like, I remember it, math and science for me, it was like studying Chinese. Like, I could sit there, I could study it, I could study it, I could study it. You hand me that test, and I'm like, are we reading the same language? Like, you know, like, what's going on here? But if I had to do that, when I'm answering those questions, what that test is doing is it is not building or creating knowledge in me. It's trying to draw out whether or not that knowledge is actually there. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. Some of the tests you face in life, they are designed to reveal where's your trust. Where's your focus? Remember the book of James? James writes, count it all or consider it as pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, trials and testing of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished its work, when you've endured, it makes you mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, what can happen is when we face moments like this with, with the disciples where Jesus, our faith is being tested, one of the things that's happening in that moment is it's revealing who is God in my life? What do I really worship? 
Where do I go to as the source of my fulfillment? Where do I go to as the source of my satisfaction? What is my ultimate heart's desires focus about pleasure? What do I see as being the ultimate place that life is found? Because how many of you know that when the pressure cooker of life starts coming in, we start looking for an outlet? And what happens in that moment that can be revealed through our life is, what are you turning to in that moment? Is it sex? Is it pleasure? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it any form? Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's trying to gain control. Maybe it's workaholism. Maybe it's going to the gym relentlessly. And what, what is your outlet? Because what that's doing is it's revealing to you to a certain degree, what do you trust in? And the test of that pressure cooker moment is revealing to you, is God more than enough or is what you can do or accomplish what you really trust in? See, the test mattered because Jesus is going in just a few months' time, Philip, you and the disciples are gonna be expanding the kingdom. Are you gonna rely on your ability or on my spirit? And so the test comes. See, what this sign revealed is what God can do. Watch this. In the hands of Jesus, what little we have, he can use to minister to many. In the hands of Jesus, what little we have, he can use to minister to many. Jesus can take just the little ability that we have, the little effort that we have, and he can expand it and use it mightily for the kingdom of God. Jesus has the power to create, to sustain, to fill, and to satisfy our every need. In the hands of Jesus, he can take that little bit and multiply it. He can create something new in that moment. It revealed what God had come to do, what he was able to do. See, God's care and provision, it's driven by his compassion for those he loves. But I want you to watch this. This is beautiful. God's care and his provision for those who are around is most often carried in the hand of his obedient servants. Let me say that again. God's care and provision for those around us is most often carried in the hands of his obedient servants. That means you and I have a responsibility. Do you know what Jesus could have done? And it would have been kind of cool if he would have done it, right? Like if he would have just done like the clapper, right? And instead of lights coming on, like everyone's hands are open and there's bread and fish. <laughs> You're like, it's a flounder. <laughs> I got salmon. <laughs> or for me, it'd be like, T-bone steak. <laughs> Right? Like that would have been a cool moment. Like you've got a whole French baguette and you've got like a T-bone steak. Like that, Jesus could have done that. Listen to me, he could have. But he didn't. Instead, he took those little bits and he broke them up and he did what? He handed them to the disciples. And it was in the hands of the disciples that they then took them to the crowd. It was through the obedience of the disciples and the servants of Jesus that the many's needs were fed and met. And can I tell you something? God's answer to a broken world is the local church. As we obediently take what little we have 
and trust it into his hands and through our lives step into obedience, even feeling like, God, I don't feel like I've got enough. I don't feel like I am enough. I don't feel like I have the ability. I don't feel like God's like, you're right, you don't, but I do. God cares and ministers. Listen to me. Some of the most beautiful words God has ever spoken to me have come from the mouth of trusted individuals. People who have prayed into my life, who have sowed wisdom into me, who in that moment, through the Holy Spirit, spoke and encouraged me, brought life to me, brought encouragement to me. How many of you have ever had that moment where like someone's talking to you and you're like, this ain't them. Like God himself is like speaking. Like that's a powerful moment. Can I tell you something that happened as they were obedient to what God had called them to do? God cares and ministers his compassion towards those who are in a mist but it's often carried in the hands of obedient servants. So our shift, number one, has to be on what he can do, but the second shift we have to have is on who he is. The crowd had a wrong perspective. Jesus finishes. um, The crowd looked at this miracle through a selfish lens. They immediately want to make Jesus king, like, on the spot. Then again, if someone performs a miracle and they feed 20,000 people from their hands, like you're kind of like, ah, we can take over Rome. We can do anything we need. He can perform miracles like feed 20,000 people from a Lunchable. I think we can do this, right? They're like, let's go conquer Rome. You have powers we can utilize. You can feed us. You can help us dethrone Roman rule over us. We want you to be our military, our political, our king, to give us what we want, and we want more bread. <laughs> like you can almost hear the, child, the crowds chanting, more bread, more bread. That's the picture you get. Jesus sends them away. That night, there's a storm, and we're gonna talk about this um, here shortly, where Jesus walks on water in another sermon. But immediately after that miracle, which that's cool too, I'm excited to preach through that one. The next day, the crowd shows up again. And guess what they want? More bread. It's a shocking moment we find in this. If you've got your Bibles, if if you look later today, John chapter six, verses 21 through 71, you see a side of Jesus that we don't like to talk about too often. He intentionally loses followers. We're like, wait a second, wait, wait. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. Anytime you have a speaker, your your goal is to try to gain a following or gain a crowd. Or no, Jesus, what are you doing? But what we see in John chapter 6, 22 through 71 is massive amounts of people start to desert Jesus because of what he teaches. And he says to this to them: He says, You want me only because I fed you, not because you understood the sign. He's like, you want me today because you want more bread and I'm not giving you more bread. You want me because you think that like I'm just gonna every day miraculously pop up bread for you to eat so you don't have to work or do any of that kind of stuff. You can just have it. Jesus goes, that's not what I'm here to do. He says, the only work that God wants of you is to believe the signs that are intended to put faith, trust, and belief in God. And their response says, okay, we'll believe if you give us more bread. Okay, I'll trust you, Jesus, if you do that thing again. Do that miracle, a little bit more fish, a little bit more bread. I'm down for that, and then I'll I'll believe in you. 
Their response is, give us some more food. In fact, give us more every single day, like what happened whenever Moses was here and there's manna every day. And if you do that for us, then we'll put our trust in you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, here's the problem. You're wanting the bread. I am the bread. He says, I'm the true bread. What you tasted yesterday physically is what I will do for all who come to me spiritually. You walked away satisfied and fed and full. That's what my presence does. He goes, that's the sign. Not the fact that you didn't have to work for the bread, not the fact that it appeared magically, not the fact that like you had your fill, not the fact that it tasted good, not any of that. The sign is that what you were longing for is me. He goes, you know, you talk about Moses and manna, how it appeared every single day. He's like, you need me every day. More than you need actual bread, you need me. The manna in the wilderness has sustained them. It brought life. It carried them through the wilderness. Can I tell you something? You know what's going to carry you through your wilderness and through your test? Jesus' presence. Not your illity. Not your ability, not your capability, not your strength, not any of those things. What you're going to need in the midst of your face, of your test, and whatever it is you're going through, it's not any of that. It's the presence of Jesus. That's what we need. So Jesus says that, and the crowd's still kind of with him until he says these words. Let's be real here. Jesus gets a little weird. And he looks at them and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now, if... Let's just pause here for a second. We, we've got hindsight. We know everything. If someone walked up to you and was like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd be like, hang up. I'm not a cannibal. <laughs> you just got weird with me, sir, right? <laughs> but Jesus realizes, because he knows their hearts, they're not really his followers. And they don't really want him They want the things he can provide. If that's not an indictment on modern day Christianity, I don't know what it is. What do you want more, him or his stuff? And if his stuff stops, is he still more than enough? Because Jesus is gonna look at them and go, sorry champ, no bread today. No miracle. I'm the bread. I have to be more than enough. And he looks at him and he's like, if you really want to be my follower, then you have to realize that I am everything that you looked for. You have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And what he's talking about there, obviously, is he's talking about what he's going to do at the Passover meal where he's going to sit before his disciples and he's going to partake. Remember, this is taking place right next to the Passover. So this isn't lost to them. He's saying to them, listen to me, I have to be your sacrificial lamb. (laughs) I have to be what you partake in. On the night of the Passover, you, you ate of the lamb and the lamb's blood was poured over the doorposts of the house and anyone who hid underneath the blood was covered and protected and death passed over them. And he's like, I'm that lamb. You've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. It's going to be my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying, I have to be everything that you put your trust and your hope into. I'm the bread. I'm what you long for.
He says, only trusting in me and me alone is going to bring you eternal life. Now, so that's what he says. Let's look at the response. The response was this. There was essentially three groups. There was the crowds. There were surface level disciples. And there were true disciples. And as soon as Jesus says this, we see all the way back to the parable of the sower taking place where the seed is sown on many grounds. And the ground is meant to be like the heart, but the heart determines its growth. We see what happens is this. The crowds start to leave and even disciples start to leave. Jesus finishes this teaching and it goes kind of like from 15, 20,000 to like, oh, time to go home, everybody. (laughs) Time to go do our thing. And even people who've been sticking around for a little bit, who had an assumption about who Jesus was supposed to be, Suddenly they're like, mm, I don't know if I'm for this. And they kind of, and so Jesus looks at his apostles. He looks at the 12 disciples and he goes, are you going to leave me too? And they go, where are we to go? You have the words of life. See, this is what we find. The crowds leave, some disciples desert him, but true disciples come closer. All three groups saw and experienced the same miracle. They saw the exact same sign, but it only produced faith in those who wanted Jesus more than what he can give. Let me say that again. Listen to me. All three groups saw and experienced the sign, but it only produced faith in those who wanted Jesus more than what he can give, and our response matters. What do you want, the king or his stuff? Is he more than enough? Are you aware of the fact that just even the breath you've been given in this moment is a mighty gift from his hand? That what we really deserve is the cross. I talk to so many Christians sometimes and they're like, I don't deserve what I'm going through. I don't deserve what I've been facing. I don't deserve what's happening to me in my life. I don't deserve, what we actually deserve is far worse than what we realize. And what Jesus is testing his disciples to see is, is two things. One, do you believe what I can do and also do you believe who that I am? Am I more than enough for you, Peter? Am I more than enough for you, Philip? Am I more than enough for you, Andrew? Am I more than enough for you, Matthew? Are you gonna put your faith and trust in me and not what I can necessarily even do in your life or through, but are you gonna trust in me as the greatest source of everything? Can I tell you something, church? Faith grows through obedience. When our faith is weak, we should make our obedience strong. Faith grows through obedience. The disciples, even when they couldn't see how the miracle could happen, they trusted Jesus and they walked in obedience. The same has to be true with our life. They obeyed even when they felt it was impossible. When we trust what he can do that we can't, when we see him as our sustainer, whenever we come to him and say, Jesus, you are more than enough. In just a moment, we're gonna partake the Lord's table. But I want you to think about it from this perspective. 
today, when you partake of this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. On the night of the Passover, every single Israelite had no ability to protect or guard themselves apart from obedience. They had the choice. I can trust what Moses has said. I can trust what the word of God has given to us. I can put the blood across the doorpost of my home and then me and my family can hide in it and that this some act somehow, some way is gonna be the very thing that protects me and my family that our firstborn won't die. They had a choice. Am I gonna step into obedience and do what, the, what God has commanded and said and put my faith and trust in him in doing so? Or am I gonna do it my own way and be like, no, I, I'll, I'll figure it out myself. And every single person on the night that did that, that stood in faith, stepped out in obedience, that put the the blood of the lamb across their doorpost, death passed over them. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. The same is true for us as we partake of the Lord's table, as we do this in remembrance of what he accomplished on the cross, we are reminded that what we need is not my ability, not my capability, not my probability, not my feasibility. I need to shift my focus to what he can do. He can accomplish what I can't. He can do what I can't. And so in just a minute, as we're gonna take of this meal together, we're gonna be reminded of what Jesus has done and accomplished on our behalf. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. The band's gonna come up here in just a second and they're gonna, they're gonna play the song again, um, Breathe. What I'm gonna ask you to do is they're playing. Um, if you would just come up to the front, we've got um, tables in front of every single section. If you will just come out the right-hand side of your section, come up to the front, take... Um, We've got two cups. The bottom cup has the bread inside it. The top cup has the juice. If you'll just take one of them and then come back and enter your seat again from the left-hand side and then spend some time in prayer. We're gonna worship and then we're gonna partake in communion together. So as they start playing, you can just now come on up and grab the elements and then we're gonna take this together as a church family.
desperate for this sign in John's gospel does is it shows us something that can be very scary and that is that God can move in a miraculous way and if our hearts aren't right if they're not attuned to him we can miss the very thing he's revealing In fact, in the very next miracle that's going to take place, Jesus is going to appear to the disciples walking on water. And at the very end of it, one of the things that it says is that they're fearful and they don't even understand what's happening in that moment because they missed the importance or the message of the previous sign. And that's what Jesus was saying is, I'm what you need. It's my presence that you need. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. It, it works both ways. God could perform a healing, miraculous miracle in your life, but if your eyes are on, God, I need this from you more than I need you, the sign will be completely useless to us. But the flip side is also true. You can be right now going through the deepest, darkest, most painful trial, test, and experience of your life. But if your perspective is correct, and you're saying, Jesus, what I need more than being delivered from the test, more than being delivered from the trial, more than this thing to cease or end is that I need your presence. Can I tell you something? His presence will hold you even in the darkest of night. What we need today is Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't pray and ask for healing. It doesn't mean we don't believe that he doesn't perform miracles. Thank God he still does all those things. But there's sometimes he also doesn't. And it's for a reason and a purpose. Because one of the things he's shaping in our heart is, am I more than enough? As you hold the elements in your hand, if you'll take the bread out. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples. He looked at those that he loved and he said, this is my body broken for you. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort knowing that my king did not stand at a distance, but he willingly came near and was broken. Amen. So that in the midst of my brokenness, I can receive his wholeness. In the midst of my pieces, I can receive his perfection. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And as you eat of it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Today as you eat this, we are reminded that the bread we most need is the bread of his presence. We need him. So let's take and eat together. Shortly thereafter, he took the cup. 
Again, looking at those he loved, he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Giving is one of the greatest ways that we can reveal love. Wherever there is love, there is always giving. There's always generosity. Do you realize that the King of Kings gave every last drop for you and for me? He said, this is my blood which is shed and given for you. How great a gift. How beautiful a sacrifice. And as we take of the cup, we trust in his sinless life, not in my sinful past. We trust in his innocent perfection, not in our sin-stained resume. And we trust in his ability, not in our own. Let's take and drink of the cup together. Jesus, we worship you. Lord, we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your blood that was poured out on our behalf. We thank you that we are washed clean, white as snow, that Jesus, as we stand before you, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not because of our ability or because of our past, but because of who you are. And so, Lord, today we worship you. We praise you. We give you thanks. We give you honor. Lord, we put our trust in you. We put our trust in what you can do and not in what we can do. And as we leave here today, God, we place our trust in the King of Kings, not in our attempts, not in our efforts, not in our abilities, not in what we can do, not in what we could ever do. But Jesus, we place it solely in you for you are the bread we most need. We worship you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today and worshiping with us. Um, if it's your first time today, as you leave, um, we have a welcome center right out here to the left-hand side. We would love to give you a gift just to say thank you for worshiping with us. Um, again, check your bulletin. We've got a lot of events that are coming up. Have a phenomenal week and may God's presence go and be with you.